Welcome to Life Source Church. Subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or SoundCloud. Today you're going to hear a message from Pastor Walt that we hope encourages you. So we've been talking the last four weeks uh, about what it means to really be a Christian, to live like a genuine Christian, to be the real deal kind of Christian. And that's what we want to be, isn't it? We, you know, we don't want to be somebody who is, is a hypocrite or fake in some way. We want to be the real thing. And, and so we, we looked back uh, into the Bible and said, well, how did the early Christians live? You know, the ones who were with Jesus, who heard Jesus talking to them, and, and then they went and lived this. How did they live it to get some insight into how we ought to be living this? And And so four weeks ago, we started off with the words of Jesus to his own disciples. And you remember, Jesus just made it very clear. He says, I have to come first in your life. If you're going to be a a true Christian, a true follower of me, Jesus said, I must come first in your life before all else. I must come first before your family. If you have to choose, most of the time you don't have to choose. But if you do, you've already settled it. Uh, Jesus comes first before your comfort. Uh, He comes first first before your reputation. He comes first before all the things that you would possess. He said, you got to forsake all that stuff to follow me, to be a true Christian. So we need to settle that in our hearts and minds. And, And so we describe that around here this way. We say we surrender to the Lord. We we yield to him and give him his rightful place in our lives. And then for the last three weeks, we've talked about what it means to grow, to be like the Lord. And we said that it starts with with the Word of God, saturating yourself with the Word of God. You're taking this into where eventually you you begin to think the way God says that things are, which, by the way, is the way they really are. Your thoughts begin to match that, and you begin to experience what Paul says when he talks about being transformed by the renewing of your mind, God changing you from the inside out. Then we talked about the people of God and how important it is if we're going to grow the way the Lord wants us to that we connect with other Christians on purpose. We, we spend time with other Christians on purpose, sharing our Christian lives together, uh, encouraging one another as we live the way the Lord wants us to live. And if that is essential for us to become uh, what God wants us to be, essential for the body to be building itself up the way God intends. And then last week we talked about connecting with the Holy Spirit and connecting with God in the spiritual realm and and how crucial that is that we have that dynamic going in our lives. We become spiritually minded. Our actions become spiritually directed as we consciously, purposefully spend time with God, connecting with him in that spiritual way. And that brings us to the final one we want to talk about today and that's that we tell others about the Lord. These three things are, this is the way to live the Christian life. Uh, these three things are essential. We, we surrender the Lord, we grow to be like the Lord, we tell others about the Lord. So, so let's focus in on that last one there today. I want you to know that from the very beginning when God created everything, his intention was to uh, have his, his ways, his, his goals, his purposes spread out through the world, accomplishing what he wanted accomplished. 
We see this right in Genesis chapter one. Uh, and it says, God created man in his own image. And he said to them, fill the earth and subdue it. And the idea is this, okay, man, you, us we humans were created in the image of God. In that image, we go out and rule over creation for God, the way God wants it to be handled, okay? So from the very beginning, God is saying, I want, you know, me, my ways, my name spread throughout the world and known. This is even before there was sin, that God wants to spread this. And then we see Abraham in the Old Testament. Um, God tells him, I want you to leave where you are and I want you to go someplace else because I have something very special I want to accomplish. Genesis, or excuse me, Galatians chapter three. It says, and the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel to Abraham beforehand, saying, in you all the nations shall be blessed. In other words, from him, through his descendants, the whole world will be blessed, and specifically through one descendant. Who was that one descendant of Abraham? The Lord Jesus Christ, that's right. And it's through him that he blesses the entire world. But I want you to see, it. here it is in the Old Testament with Abraham, God saying to Abraham, look, I, I, I want you to pick up, I want you to move, I want you to go because I want to bless the whole world through you. So you need to go do what I've told you to do. So his intention was for this to happen. And then God has done his big part in this, uh, in creation. So in Psalm 19, it says this. It says, the heavens proclaim the glory of God. The skies display his craftsmanship. Day after day, they continue to speak. Night after night, they make him known. Their message has gone throughout the world or the earth and their words to all the world. And so God has done what? He's put creation in place. The whole universe, big down to the tiniest things, everything to help people know there's a God. That as you look at these things and you have to conclude, if you think logically about them, that there must be a God and there must be a God that we can know. All right, and so day in, day out, year in, year out, for centuries, for millennia, God has been saying this through creation. And it is, it is so thorough what he's done in creation that in the book of Romans, chapter one, Paul says this. He says, for since the creation of the world, his gods, God's invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead. And then what's it say? so that they are without excuse. Nobody who is willing to be open can look at creation and conclude there is no God. If, you, if someone will open their hearts and minds and look at creation and say, is there a God? It won't be long at all before they say, there has to be. There is a God. So much so that they are without excuse. Now, the problem with this is that, that Creation doesn't tell us enough. It tells us that there's a God and he is powerful and that, you know, we need to know this God, but it doesn't tell us how. And that's where you and I come in, okay? So God's intention is that the whole world would see and know. And then he gives us a commandment that we be involved in telling people how to know this God. 
How can we know this God? What's he like? How do we have a relationship with him? If, and this is not just a New Testament thing. This is Old Testament too. Psalm 96 says it like this. Proclaim the good news of his salvation from day to day. Declare his glory among the nations, his wonders among all peoples. But even the Old Testament, the Jewish people, he instructed them to, to proclaim the good news of his salvation day by day. He commanded them to do that. And, and New Testament, very clearly, multiple, multiple times, we're gonna choose one statement of Jesus. In Mark 16, he says, says and then Jesus told them, go into all the world and preach the good news to everyone. Now, don't let that word preach trip you up. I'm up here preaching today, okay? But that's not what this is intended to communicate. This idea of preaching means telling people, making sure they know. It's an on-purpose kind of telling. They need to know the good news, the gospel, that Jesus has come, that our sins which have separated us from God, Jesus has paid the penalty for on the cross and risen from the dead, and he offers us forgiveness and eternal life when we receive Christ as Savior. So that is the good news. Now, how did the first church, those early Christians we talk about, how did they understand this command? Well, we see when they were all in Jerusalem, the, you know, it was all new to them, the gospel was being preached, thousands saved, it was really exciting, and then persecution came. All of a sudden, it could be that you could end up locked up because you're a Christian. You might even be beaten, possibly even put to death because you're a Christian. So a bunch of Christians decided, hmm, very logically what? Maybe we ought to head out for now. But I want you to see how they understood this command that even as they head out, in Acts chapter eight, it says, therefore, those who were scattered went everywhere preaching the word. So when they left Jerusalem to go back to where they had come from and they were doing it, they took this good news with them. Wherever they went, it was just a part of their lives to tell people about the Lord, to tell people how they could have a relationship with him, to tell them what Jesus had done for them. So they understood it this way. In Acts chapter 11, it says, when they came to Antioch, they spoke to the Hellenists preaching the Lord Jesus. Now the Hellenists were the Gentiles and the Jewish people didn't typically hang out with Gentiles and have a lot to do with them. But I want you to see how they understood this command of the Lord. They talked to people who they normally wouldn't have talked to. And they talked to them on purpose because they needed to know. They needed to know. Now, we could keep going looking at the commands of God for us to tell people about him, about the Lord. Um, if the Lord tells us to do something should that be sufficient motivation? It should be, shouldn't it? I mean, just because he's told us that ought to be good enough motivation for us to go and do it. And it is. But God knows us. <laughs> you know, he knows where we are. And so he's given us more information to provide us with even greater motivation than just the fact that he's told us. And what it is, he's told us in the scripture why people need to know. Why they need to hear. So let's take our Bibles and turn to the Gospel of John, chapter three. If you don't have a Bible with you today, there's one under the chair there. And we are going to be on page 1,222. Page number 1,222. 
John chapter 3. Very early in Jesus' ministry, he's done a couple miracles and he's turned the temple upside down, caused a ruckus. And so this is where the, the story picks up. John 3 verse 1, it says, There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered and said to him, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? And of course, he knew that wasn't the case. He's trying to say, Well, how does this work? Verse 5, Jesus answered, Most assuredly I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. So Jesus here is contrasting two kinds of birth. He's talking about a physical birth. When he says born of water, uh, this is a picture of the, the amniotic fluid that a, a child develops in. And, and what happens usually early in a mom's labor, at some point in a mom's later, her what? Her water breaks. Okay. And he's, he's he talks about that. He calls it born of the flesh, born of water and born of the spirit. And he says this, if you are only born physically, and you are not born spiritually, you cannot see the kingdom of heaven. You can't. You don't make it to heaven. Just being born physically is not sufficient. There must be a spiritual birth. Now, the people that you know who, you, who live around you, that you work with, that you interact with day in and day out, they don't know that. They don't know that. And because of that, that means they cannot see heaven. And the only way they can know is if somebody tells them. And the Lord has told us to tell them. Let's go over to chapter 14, page 1241. We've already talked about this verse a number of times in this series. But Jesus is getting ready to go and the disciples are asking questions. And then he says this in verse 6. Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And here's the phrase. No one comes to the Father except through me. In other words, you don't make it to heaven. You don't make it into relationship with God except by going through Jesus. Only through Jesus. Jesus is the only way that God has provided for us to have a relationship with him. Now, the people that you know around you, even the people who believe in God, right? And, and maybe they're even religious people. I think you talk to them, a lot of them would say that Jesus is a way. But Jesus said he was what? The way, the only way. They don't know that. And they won't know that unless somebody tells them. And this is why the Lord has commanded us to tell them. Go to the book of Acts. Chapter 4, page 1256. 1256. The apostles have been, this is early in the history of the church. They've been preaching, telling people about the Lord. And, and we get down to chapter 4 and verse 12. And they're really summing up the point here. 
It says, nor is there salvation in any other, any other than Jesus. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. The name of Jesus. Yeah, I don't know if you've noticed in your conversations with people who don't know the Lord, who don't have that relationship. You know, it's, it's not too, too huge a deal to talk about God or even maybe to talk about being spiritual. But if you want to start talking about it's the Lord Jesus Christ, it's, it's, he's the only way to heaven. It gets kind of... But if they don't know that, they can't make it to heaven. They have to know who Jesus is. They have to know what he did for them. That he died on the cross, paying the penalty for their sins, rose again from the dead, and that by faith they can receive Christ as Savior and receive forgiveness of sins. But they don't know that. They really don't. You think about the people around you that you know, that you don't think know the Lord. If you were to ask them, do you understand that you know, Jesus did this and that you must receive him by faith? And do you think they'd understand that? I mean, would they volunteer that to you? No, because they don't know it. They won't know it unless somebody tells them. Go to Revelation chapter 20. Right toward the end of the Bible, page 1424 in the Bible in the chairs, 1424. This is coming down to the end of time. This is the final judgment. Um, and so you know, no, no Christians, no one who has received Christ as Savior will be in this judgment. We may observe it, I don't know, but we won't be in it, thankfully, because we have received Christ as Savior. But everyone who has not received Christ as Savior will be in this judgment. So let's start in reading in verse number 11. It says, then I saw a great white throne and him who sat on it from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away and there was found no place for them. So God is here sitting as the judge at this final judgment. He is, he is holy and pure and nobody wants to stand in that judgment in front of him. Nobody wants to rather be anywhere, but they can't, they don't have a choice. They will make this judgment. Verse 12, and I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God, and books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. So let me just interject here. The book of life is, is the book that contains the names of everyone who has received Christ as Savior. So for me, on April the 4th, 1975, when I received Christ as Savior, my name went in the book of life, okay? These other books are books that contain a record of how people have lived, how everyone has lived. So let's, let's read on. It says, And the dead were judged according to their works by the things which were written in the books. The sea gave up the dead who were in it, and death and Hades delivered up the dead who were in them, and they were judged, each one according to his works. So the idea is that a person stands before God in this judgment, they stand there, the record is, is gone over. Here's how you've lived your life. And it shows here's how you have sinned. Here's how you've sinned. Here's where you've sinned. And it's going to demonstrate time and time again that you have disobeyed a holy God. That you are guilty before a holy God. That you are worthy of this eternal judgment before a holy God. Let's continue. Then death and Hades were cast into the lake of fire. 
This is the second death. Anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. So everyone who stands in this judgment, the record's gonna be shown, they are indeed guilty. And then we, we look in the book of life, did you receive Christ as savior? No, you did not. And horrifically, their destiny is what we typically call hell. And that's, that's horrific to even think about. But let me tell you what, when I stop and think about it, just drives me and hits me so hard. And that's that there would be people that I knew, people that I had the opportunity to speak to and didn't. You know, I, and I don't know if they would have gotten saved, but I, I cringe at the thought of thinking that there would be people there who I had an opportunity at least to try and I didn't. Do you see why people need to be told? People need to be told or their eternal destiny is separated from God. And so what we need to do is understand they need to know. Paul says it like this in Romans chapter 10. He says, he says but how can they call on him to save them unless they believe in him? And how can they believe in him if they have never heard about him? And how can they hear about him unless someone tells them? Unless I tell them. Unless you tell them. Unless we somehow rather working together tell them. We need to own our responsibility to be witnesses. You know, if we wanna say yes, we're surrendered to the Lord, but we're not witnesses, guess what? We're not surrendered to the Lord. And we're not talking about, we, we, none of us are perfect, but the idea is we need to settle this. I have a responsibility to somehow rather share my faith, somehow rather to be a witness to people in my life. Well, how are we gonna do this? Well, just briefly, first, live openly Christian lives. If you are sincere about surrendering to the Lord and you are sincerely trying to grow to be like the Lord, there's gonna be something that should come out in your life in your conversation, how you live, decisions you make, uh, it should show up. Live openly Christian lives because that will often stir people to wonder what's up, okay? Secondly, engage people on purpose about the gospel. Now what I mean by this is you need to be consciously thinking. In fact, I want you to rethink how you go out into the world this week and the conversations that you have and try to, to become alert and aware that every conversation has the potential to become a conversation about the Lord. Now, they won't all become conversations about the Lord. They all won't go that way. But you need to be ready and ready to go with that should the opportunity come. And you might have to put yourself at risk a little bit and take a chance and ask a question or say something. And then the third thing is this, pray about reaching people for Christ, pray. This is a spiritual endeavor. This isn't just your own wisdom, own strength kind of thing. God has to work. And so we must connect with him in the spiritual realm about this and, and learn to think spiritually, be sensitive to the spirit. And so this means at least two things, this idea of praying uh, about reaching people for Christ. First, it means praying for others who are witnessing. That's your brothers and sisters in Christ. Pray for each other that, I pray, Father, that my brothers and sisters at Life Source will be witnesses today. Because even the apostle Paul had these words to say in Ephesians 6. 
He, see, he told the Ephesians, ask God to give me the right words so I can boldly explain God's good news. Pray that I will keep on speaking boldly for him as I should. If the Apostle Paul needed people to pray for him about his witness, do you think we do? Yeah. And here's the other thing I want you to get. And if you go out of here doing nothing else but this, this will be an awesome thing. Ask God to give you an opportunity to witness. Every day, say, God, would you give me an opportunity to somehow share my faith somehow, somewhere? Would you give me an opportunity to be a witness for you today? And I want you to think about this. You sincerely ask God this question. Do you think God's going to say, nah, I don't care about that? We already know his intent, don't we? We already know what his command is. We already know the huge need. I promise you, based on God's word, that if you will ask God to give you opportunities, that he will begin answering that prayer. He absolutely will. And what I want to do right now is to, to turn the, the sermon over here for a few minutes to Derek Rice. Come on up, Derek. Because Derek has done what I just described to you. Derek asked God to give him an opportunity to be a witness. And uh, so Derek's going to share with us for a few minutes, and I will come back up and wrap this up. Thank you, Pastor, for giving me an opportunity to share. I'd like to share a scripture. 1 John 5, 14 through 15, it says, This is the confidence we have in approaching God that if we ask for anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we ask of him. A couple months back, the pastor did a sermon series on boldness. And one of the things in that series that challenged me was to step out in faith and to pray for opportunities to share about God's love. So I prayed, and there's a gentleman at, at my work. His name's Mike. And God put on my heart, Mike. And so there are times when um, Mike and I get together. We've known each other for many years. But we, 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 I have him come over to watch the Patriots game. We've done that several times. And so there was an evening game coming up on a Saturday, and I said, hey, why don't, you, why don't you come over? And so he did. He said, I'll come over. So he came over. We, we, had, we had dinner together, and there was a couple hours before the start of the game, so I said, well, let's go upstairs. You know, I have a, a game room in my house, and we started to play some pool. And I started the conversation like this. I said, you know, I, I just got back from celebrating my mother's 80th birthday, and it was, it was a great opportunity to celebrate with her. And she's, she's doing pretty well. I said, but I am concerned about my mother's spiritual condition and her relationship with God. And I used that conversation to transition to him because he's kind of a hard guy to figure out. He's a good moral guy. I said, what about you? Where do you stand with the things of God? with Jesus and the Bible. And so we talked at great length, probably for a couple hours, going back and forth, sharing different things. 
But he seemed to sum it up like this. He, he felt it was a lack of faith on his part. And he said, I even prayed to God that he would send me a sign. So I said to him, faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God. I said, do you have a Bible? He says, no, I don't have one. I said, I want to give you this Bible. In it is a marker, and it's placed in the Gospels of, of uh, the Gospels. I challenge you to read the Gospels so that you can hear for yourself what Jesus has done for you. And I said to him that, you know, I won't challenge you to do anything that I won't do myself. So I said, I'll read it right along with you. We'll just go at our own pace. And when we see each other, if you have any questions, you know, I'll try to answer it as best as I know how. So he said he would do that. So I went into work after the weekend, and he said to me, I didn't know there was a genealogy of Jesus. I thought that was very interesting. And, and most people just kind of skip over that part, but for some reason he, he found it interesting. Then uh, on another occasion, um, he would say to me that uh, he, could, he could now understand that, that Jesus was saying that, you know, there was, it was about humility. Humility towards men and towards God. And then... On another time, he said to me, you know, when I, when I read this word, I can believe God. I can believe what he says. On a different occasion, I came into work and I was talking not about this stuff, but I was talking about a company policy that um, had just got implemented on how the company paid out a particular benefit. And I said, I, I think it's unfair the way they're doing it for some people. And he pointed out by the word of God to me, by some scripture, that the company was not being unfair in how they paid their wage. And it was the very scripture that I had read in my time alone with God that morning. And I went away with that conversation so thrilled that he had confronted me on my thinking based on the word of God. God was working in his life. I come in another time and he says that you know, all my life I've heard in movies and in TV shows, um, you know, I'm not a God-fearing man. And he says, I never understood what they meant. He says, but I understand now. I understand about the fear of God. Then I came in, went over to his machine another, on a different occasion, and he said to me, he looked up to me, he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And he said it with trembling on his lips. God was working. God is in the process of converting this man by his word. Pray for Mike that God will follow it through, his faith to completion, and pray for me that I would have additional opportunities besides work to really just cement that in with him and really guide him along and where he's going. You know, I had a, another conversation with him and I said, you know, God, you, you prayed to God that he would send you a sign. I said, 
God gave you me, and I gave you the Word of God. And he goes, you're right. You're right. God was faithful. Now, one night I came to the church to pray, and I was out in the parking lot over here, and I decided to call my mom. And this is the first time I had talked to her since her birthday celebration. And so we chatted on a number of different things. But somehow the conversation got to my challenge to Mike and how God had been working in his, his life. And, you know, I said to my mom, I said, I'm convinced more now than ever that unless you are in this word, you will not grow in your relationship with God nor understand who he is and what he wants you to do and be and know. And my mother said something that I'll never forget. And she said, maybe I ought to read it. In Ephesians 5, 15 through 17, it says, be very careful then how you live, not as unwise but as wise, making the most of every opportunity, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. It is the will of the Lord that we should, that we should share, that we should pray. If the love of God is in your heart, it will not be that difficult. It will just be an overflowing of your heart. Pray for opportunities, and I'll be praying for another. I'll be praying. Thank you for letting me share. So as simple as asking God, God, would you give me an opportunity? And it, it opened the door. This man was ready. See, God knows who's ready in your life, doesn't he? He knows who's ready. Ask him to give you an opportunity. And then jump in. See where God takes it. It's interesting. It already brought him to his friend, which has brought him back to his mother. And who knows where it will go next. Same can happen to you. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you sent someone to tell us about your son. Lord, help us not to take that lightly, but to be so grateful for it. And Lord, that it would motivate us to tell others. I pray that we would yield ourselves to you to, to tell others that we would ask you for opportunities and trust you to give them. Lord, make us a church that is actively reaching out, reaching out individually, reaching out together. And we need you to work or this isn't going to happen. I pray in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. You are dismissed.